Welcome to Mother Food, a podcast dedicated to mothers who turn the traditional role of feeding into professional success. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, event planner, supper club host, cook, food writer and first-time mama. In this podcast, we will meet women who forged inspiring careers in food while also embracing life as mothers. We cover topics from life-work balance and self-nurture to pregnancy diets, breastfeeding, baby weaning, family meal planning and a lot more. No matter where you are on your journey now, you will find support, advice, inspiration and a community here. Mother Food is a space for heartfelt discussions filled with recipes, food memories, practical tips and honest insights into the lives of modern mothers. Welcome to the final episode of the first season of the Mother Food podcast. This project has really been growing organically since its launch back in April. And the change that I can see in myself is colossal, really. I feel like I'm a different person from the one who started this podcast. Thanks to these episodes and the discussion that we've created around it, it helped me so much to embrace the idea of change and how to be okay with not having the control, of letting go of expectations for things to look and turn out a certain way. So when I have started this podcast, my own mindset was very much focused on this idea that I need to achieve a perfect balance, as it were, between working life and parenting life. I admired and was perhaps a bit jealous of the women who seemed to have that all figured out, while I felt like a failure trying to chase so many tales, doing my events, working on my book promotion, and also making sure I spend quality time with my girl and am that mindful parent that I always imagined myself to be. I also pushed really hard to be the perfect working mom, a woman who elegantly balances all these different roles. Amazingly, I have somehow managed to do all of those different tasks and thanks to the support of so many in my life, I was able to do it. But the reality was that I felt burnt out and quite bitter that things always seemed to be just outside of my grasp. I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be and I surely was far from being the perfect mindful parent that I always imagined myself to be. I was pushing a stroller with one hand while answering emails with my phone in the other hand, often bumping the pram into trees and fences. And at this moment, as things often happen by coincidence, I came across an old school friend who also had a baby not so long ago and was offering coaching for entrepreneurial mothers. Although my rational and skeptical self was a little bit unsure that coaching is really the way for me, I felt very drawn to Kim's offering and on an instinctive level I knew it was right for me. So having worked with Kim I feel that some really important shifts have occurred within me, namely in the mindset and in my ability to distance myself from my thoughts and ideas, understanding them as nothing but social and cultural conditioning 
rather than believing them as the ultimate objective truths and reality. And this shift has enabled me to start this podcast, really, in the somewhat imperfect circumstances, and I really could not have been happier. This shift has also enabled me to tune into my needs, to listen to my instinct more, and to follow the new subtle turns that were happening internally in relation to my professional interests and passions. I have embraced the home as a new space of my creativity rather than a place of confinement. I felt inspired to reclaim the domestic space as a platform for my professional interests as well as a hub of my family life. And I feel I have finally stopped playing that mental ping-pong between the clear-cut categories of professional and personal life. Of course, all of that was taking place against the backdrop of debilitating self-doubt, um, the fear of change and of failure. But it was so important to learn that all these states come and pass and that everything moves in a cyclical way. We can never eliminate them, nor should we want to do so, but rather learning to embrace them all and hold space for them in the same way as you nurture the development of your beloved child. So as this season draws to a close, I felt it is very appropriate to end with an episode featuring my own coach, Kim Barnard, and also to share the news that in a way were the fruit of our work together. And this news is that I'm starting a new project, um, which is called the Mother Food Cooking Course, aimed at soon-to-be parents, where we will learn together various ways of nourishing the new mother, the new child, and the new family. With this course, I hope to offer a blueprint and make your transition into parenthood easier by supporting you with tips, ideas, and nutrient-rich recipes. So head over to my website to find out more and please let as many parents-to-be know about this if you can. And now I'm thrilled to share the final episode featuring Kim Barnard, where we discuss how do we embrace our unique physical, emotional and social features as women and as mothers? And how do we carve a new path in a world where archetypal masculine values are appreciated the most. Kim shares so many wonderful insights to inspire us to reclaim the workspace and our creativity as mothers. Hi Kim, welcome to Mother Food. Well, I should say welcome back <laughs> because you were yeah. already here interviewing me for the very first episode. Um, I wanted to ask you about your own career journey and how did you come about doing what you're doing now? Because, you know, when we were growing up, um, that kind of field of work didn't even exist. So it's not like you kind of woke up one day as a girl and thought, oh, I'm going to be a, you know, a coach for mothers and <laughs> support. Yeah. Um, so how did that field open up for you? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? When we grow up, we are kind of presented with this idea of like, 
what are you going to do? And it's usually like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. Like there's all these like, preconceived ideas, not only of our own, but what society and our parents and our caregivers put onto us. So yeah, I, I, you know, growing up, there was a lot of that. And I think I was someone who just didn't really have a clue what they wanted to do. Like none whatsoever. It all kind of just fell into place for me. Everything's always just kind of happened. I haven't really had to think about it too much. When we left school, I decided that I wanted to do something more. I think I I went into business because that was kind of like, oh, what am I going to study? Okay, I'll study business studies. That's what it, you know, that's, that's a very kind of versatile course that I can do. Um, so I went, applied for that, didn't actually deferred it and went to university and studied events management, which I felt was a little bit more niche, <laughs> not really. Um, and then I, I just gradually fell into an events management job. So I worked in a corporate events management job for 10 years um, in London City and it was fast paced and all over the world and a lot of traveling and a lot of stress and a lot of deadlines. And I basically got to the end of that 10 years and I had what many probably would describe as a quarter life crisis. Yeah, I just, everything that was happening in my life completely fell apart. So I think the catalyst was, you know, I lost my dad. And then from that point on, I was just like, well, what does all this stuff mean? Like, I don't want to be stressed out and look how that has ended, you know, that look how he's ended up. Basically, I, <laughs> I was like, right, I'm done. I'm done. I walked away from my events management job without really any idea of what I wanted to do. Um, I handed in my notice. At the same time, my, my very brief marriage ended. Um, I basically walked away from that. And I decided that I was going to move country. So I did three huge things <laughs> all at once. The only thing that I was really sure about was that I wanted to work in health and wellness in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think that came from, you know, I, growing up in the Caribbean, my family ran a wellness resort. So it was one of the first wellness resorts ever. So they launched back in the 1970s before kind of wellness retreats were a thing. And that's always been kind of like the baseline of my life. So it's Mm -hmm. always been talked about and always been kind of introduced in some kind of way, whether we've been talking about Reiki or iridology or, you know, this or that. So there's always, it's always been in the background. And I think that's kind of what led me back to it because I was feeling really stressed out and I was exercising and I was going to yoga class, but I was just so full of anxiety, so overwhelmed, so angry. I was so angry. Um, And I basically was like, right, well, health and wellness it is. How How do I go into it? Where do I start? There's so many different options now. And so I retrained and I started as a personal trainer because the actual act of working out was such medicine to me during those years and kept me on some kind of even keel uh, that I thought that that was a really good like place to start. So I started there and then what gradually happened is that I started attracting all of these different situations and opportunities into my life. So I started working with someone who was like a holistic personal trainer. So she then started introducing this mindset um, aspect into it Mm -hmm. and spiritual aspect into it. So 
so that was quite a few years ago now. And then I came back to the UK and I got pregnant. And that was so wonderful. But at the same time, actually, it was such a big shift in what I thought my career was going to be like after mother, well, after having my daughter. And it was nothing like it. And I think that has led me to where I am now with working with mums specifically, because I think we all have this preconceived idea of what the landscape is going to look like for us in our careers or in our lives after we have kids. And actually it's never like that. It's the complete opposite or completely different to what we've ever imagined. And there's nothing that can prepare you for that. Mm -hmm. So it's really helping mums with that and understanding kind of like, right, where do we want to be? Like, how do we want to feel? You know, what boundaries need to be put in place? Are we looking after ourselves? Because there's a common misconception that as, as women, we have to somehow be martyrs and we have to be the good partner and we have to look after the home and we have to somehow be a fantastic mother and also have a career. I mean, like, it's just impossible, right? You cannot do all of those things. Something has to give. And usually it's us. We Mm. give ourselves and we lose ourselves. And actually, I don't care where you are on your journey. If you don't look after yourself, at some point you're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. And burnout can look like so many different things to each woman, you know, whether it's anxiety, whether it's feeling exhausted, whether it's constant bickering with your partner, something happens. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there as well, my love. <laughs> so I guess um, I wanted to ask you what is the most common kind of scenario or concern that women turn to you with? You know, what is Mm. the starting point at which you begin your work together? And I guess you've already started talking about this, that whole idea of overloading ourselves with so many kind of shoulds and so many ideas of what we should be, then we kind of lose ourselves as us and our core just kind of vanishes. I mean, again, it's, it's so different for every single woman. But what I've really noticed is that after that transition from like womanhood to motherhood, we do lose our identity a little bit. And we're kind of like, right, well, I'm now a mother and I don't feel like a mother. I feel like me. So where do I fit into this? And you suddenly are like, right, well, what label do I give myself? Who am I? And it throws up all of these really uncomfortable questions for us, whether that's in our relationship, whether that's in our career. And I do focus mainly on like helping mums transition back into work, whether that's as an entrepreneur or deciding what they want to do after their maternity leave. That seems to be a really big point for us, this kind of rediscovery of self. Because as you know, as well as I know, that it does bring up a lot of triggers. When you have a a child, it makes you think about your own childhood and it maybe brings up stuff that we haven't looked at for a very long time because there hasn't been a need to. I guess when you have kids, you you look at it and you think, okay, how can I not react like my mother did? How can I make sure that I set a good example for my daughter? How can I show show my daughter, you know, a balanced work-life model? Mm -hmm. Or how can I show her a healthy relationship where actually a man and a woman are equal and it's not the woman's job. You know, so there were so many of these things that came up for me that 
I think is the starting point for all of us that we suddenly think like, okay, what kind of person do I want to be in motherhood? Because the person I was before, I can never be again. But I also don't want to just go down the preconditioned idea of what a mother should be. Mm-hmm. And what would be the tools, I guess, that you would give your clients to be able to identify all those questions and all those scenarios that are floating around? Because as we know, you know, just looking after a baby or a toddler or a child, you know, just it's a huge mm-hmm. task in its own. And as a first time mom, that's in, in itself can really throw you off your feet. Yeah. So how do we find just the mental space and the emotional space to be able to navigate, you know, someone's well-being, making sure that this little person is alive and well-fed and all of that and is mm. thriving, but also being able to identify all those things that you've just described and kind of carve out our own path through that? Okay, so there's a couple of things that I would always say to people to start with. One is to look at your support network. Mm -hmm. And by support network, I don't necessarily mean your partner or your family, but friends as well. Or even if that means like nursery or having a childminder come in for like two hours a week or whatever that looks like for you, because only you know what you need to get to that point where you can actually start to replenish whatever needs to be replenished. So that would always be number one. So really looking at that support network. And number two would be just letting go of all of these kind of preconceived ideas about what motherhood should be. I think a lot of us have a, you know, and I was talking to a friend only the other day and she was going like, well, uh, I know that needs to sleep at this time and this time and this time. And I was the same, you know, the first year of Lena's life, I was like, I became so obsessed with sleep that it actually, sleep and weaning, it turned me into such a horrible person that I was then missing the joyous moments because I was too caught up in she should be sleeping now or I need to get home because I need to feed her and I need to do this. So I was getting, I was working myself up into a very anxious state um, and a very overwhelmed state. So definitely that would, that would be kind of something else that as mothers, we really need to look at, you know, how can we just start to slow it down and scale it back and be a little bit more present? And then the other thing would be to really limit the messages we are allowing ourselves to be fed subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is be aware of what you are consuming, whether that is news, whether that is books, whether that is film, or whatever other media you are kind of ingesting. Social media is obviously a huge part of that. Because that especially if we're sleep deprived, especially if we're feeling a little bit low, that is just fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. You know, I have had so many friends, myself included, who have followed, especially in this kind of mumpreneur area, you know, mm-hmm. where they're saying, well, this is the way you do it. And they seem to be so incredibly successful. But what we do is we then start berating ourselves So we say, well, why can't we do that? And why isn't it possible for me? And why does she have it so easy? Mm -hmm. And we start to ask ourselves all those questions when in fact, we don't know what their landscape looks like. So we don't know whether they have support. We don't know what, you know, goes on behind the scenes. We don't know what type of relationship they have with their kids. 
So yeah, just being really aware of what you are consuming because that plays a huge role on the stories we then start to tell ourselves and the talk that goes on in our minds. Those would be kind of the three starting points that I would always say to clients. And then obviously it's, it's very individualized for each person, depending on what they need. What you've described, you know, that whole conditioning that we ingest from the media, from our social uh, sphere, it's loaded with masculine messages of goals, comparison, achievement. Mm. And, you know, it's not a secret that we're living in a very dysfunctional kind of hyper-masculine world. And mm. it's almost our jobs as women to kind of start this change by first reconnecting to the feminine within us. Because what's scary is that so many women are completely disconnected from the feminine nature and feminine way of living and being. So I wanted to ask you to first just explain a little bit about this whole idea of masculine and feminine modes of being, and then talk about how that can apply to mothers who are transitioning back to work. So I want to just bring up exactly what you've just said there and just kind of elaborate a little bit more on it. As women, we've been living in a very patriarchal view of what the world should look like. And by patriarchal, you know, I had a conversation with someone the other day in describing this time as living in the wounded masculine time. So the way that we do things, you know, has been imprinted on us from a very young age. And that's the way we work. That's the way we conduct ourselves and communicate. And so it basically goes into all aspects. Think about it like a web. It kind of, it, the ripple and the the web kind of spreads out. So if we just look at the idea of women in the workplace. So as a woman, you've gone into the workplace, you've probably thought about how you need to dress. Okay, so how can I look more professional? Okay, so do I wear black and do I wear power suits? And, you know, 80s was a really Mm. interesting time because, you know, women probably started to go more into the workplace and really start to feel empowered. But if you look at the way they dressed, they actually had to dress like men. Shoulder pads and all of that. The shoulder pads, the, the trousers, everything was very structured. It was a very strong look. Mm. And... And so that's just an aspect of it. But then we start to look at kind of our interaction at work. So in the workplace, uh, in meetings, you know, it's very structured. It's very goal orientated. There's a way that we need to conduct ourselves. And if you got emotional in in a meeting, actually, Mm -hmm. you would probably end up feeling quite embarrassed and you'd probably be taken aside by your boss or by a colleague and said, you know, well, you can't conduct yourself in this way. You're being very emotional as if emotion is a bad thing. Mm. So we start to kind of unpick all of, all of this. And, we, and actually, when we start to look at it, we think, oh my God, how much have we been programmed to believe that this is the only way to work? Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we work from nine to five, the fact that we work five-day weeks, you know, as women we all go through at some point in our lives, our cycles, Mm -hmm. or if we don't have our cycles as women, we are very affected by the moon. So we are going through some kind of cyclical Mm -hmm. month, every single month, which we never then connect to work. 
So if I take, if I think back to my corporate job of, you know, I had events planned throughout the month, I would have hour long meetings with clients and I would have this, that, and the other. At some points when I was probably bleeding, I didn't want to be at work. So I would be angrier. I would be more forceful. I would be more irrational. Um, And that's because basically I'm totally ignoring what my body is telling me to do. And actually, you know, when we get these premenstrual symptoms, Mm -hmm. this is usually a telltale sign that we ignore what our body wants us to do. And so that's kind of what's been happening for us. We've just accepted that this is the only way to work. It's madness. It's absolute madness that we just think, okay, yeah, goals driven. Let's do this. This is, you know, if I'm feeling down, then I need to push through and, oh, I'm premenstrual. So I just pop some of these pills and I'll go back to pretending everything is fine. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite fascinating. And I think more so than ever, as more women kind of become more aware of all of these factors that influence their lives and influence their feelings. Because, you know, for a long time, women have been told that we are emotional and that we're irrational and all of these things when actually this is just part of us. This is just part of our cycle. This is totally normal. Going on to your next question of how mothers can start to incorporate this. So as a mother, obviously, after you have children, whether you're still breastfeeding or whether your cycle has returned, a really good way to start doing this is to start maybe just journaling and taking note of what moon phase we're in and how that affects you. Um, I don't want to get really specific in like, well, the follicular phase, you're supposed to feel this. And in ovulation, yeah. you're supposed to feel this. I mean, we've already had this conversation. So, <laughs> so um I think it's really practicing awareness around how you feel, not what someone else is telling you you should feel. This is a very individualized practice. Mm -hmm. You have to, I would say, maybe try like three moon cycles if you're not menstruating. And if you are menstruating, then track your your cycle for Mm -hmm. three months. Mm -hmm. And so then you start to get some kind of awareness of the dips and the highs um, and how we feel in each of those. So that's a, that's something that I would really say to to mothers or women in general to really start practicing around it. As mothers, how we start to incorporate that into our our day to day is to then plan around those, right? And whether we've gone back to work or not, something that I've really noticed is that just before I menstruate, I go really inwards. I have really low energy. So before that happens, what I do is I bulk cook nutritious food. Mm. So if I don't do that, I tend to make bad food choices, which then spirals me into an even deeper, not depression, but you know, oh. yeah. And so I batch cook and I plan in some like extra rest time. I don't do anything sociable during that time. As in, I would never try and record a podcast. Forget that. (laughs) Because I'm just not on it. I'm just not like, you know, firing on all cylinders. So that's just some example. But obviously, depending on what your life looks like and whether you're back at work or whether you're at home, those are all things that you can start to kind of just become a little bit more aware of, you know, what would make that time simpler? 
what would make it easier? Uh, something that I've started really doing with my partner is just kind of giving him a heads up of like, okay, in a week I'm going to be menstruating. Um, or if you're not menstruating, you know, in a week it's going to be dark moon and I just need a little bit more time to myself. Um, I might just be a little bit more inwards. So just be aware that it's nothing you've done. This is just kind of what I need yeah. to rest and restore during this time. Yeah. And for my partner, I do the same thing. I just kind of say, you know, I need a little bit more me time. I maybe need to do some more yoga, some more meditation. I need you to step up and take over cooking, or I need you to do all the bedtimes or whatever it looks like for you, right? Because you only, it, again, very individual. You know what you need. You know how much support you need. And that's where we come back to that support and looking at that support. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So as mothers, I think, and, and women in general, you know, the first step is really understanding that cycle. And then the second part is really planning around it and creating awareness around it. I think a a big part of it, you know, obviously when you have kids, that is something that is kind of thrown into the mix that you're like, they don't get it. They are like, mom, I don't understand why you want to be by yourself. I want cuddles. Yeah. (laughs) You know, especially if they're young, it's not something that they can really grasp. Uh, someone described to me some great exercises around this actually, which I'll share with you. One is to, you, so obviously you've got a calendar on your wall. So next to that calendar to actually have a circle of your cycle or the moon cycle um, of when you are ovulating, of when you are bleeding so that your child starts to understand this more secular mm. pattern to life rather than this linear Mm -hmm, pattern mm -hmm. to life. And especially if you have daughters, this is something that I think is really, really important to share with them from a really young age because, you know, I don't know what your upbringing was around your cycle, but my cycle was very kind of talked about very medically. It was very kind of, okay, and then the egg goes down the tubes and it goes into your womb. And and that was Mm -hmm. kind of the description of menstruation and pregnancy and and everything else. At no point was I then told you might feel this way or this is a better time for Mm -hmm. you to be more creative or you know so when we start to kind of look at this more cyclical cyclical nature and introduce it to children introducing that is a really good way to incorporate it and as they get older and they're more able to understand kind of that during this downtime during dark moon or during when you're bleeding you need to be a little bit more far removed and explaining that to them means that especially girls don't grow up with shame around their period, which yeah. is another thing that as women, for some reason, we, we feel that, you know, we hide when we're menstruating, mm. we don't talk about it. And then something else that I've heard recently was that actually, if you have younger children, giving them a teddy bear like a specific menstruation teddy bear, right? It's, it's a really, it's, yeah, it's an inch. I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically when you go a little bit more inwards and when you want more time to yourself, sometimes your children can read that as something they've done wrong or why doesn't mommy okay. want to play with me? Why doesn't she want to be with me? And actually it can be misconceived like everything we do when we kind of grow up, we interpret it completely Mm -hmm. differently. So actually by explaining to your children, even from a young age, what's going on and saying, okay, mommy needs a little bit more time, but this is whatever you want to call teddy bear Mm -hmm. with a note around its neck saying, 
um, mummy still loves you, mummy still whatever, you know, even if it's one of these like talking bears that has this message, just to remind them that you're still there, you're still with them, but you also need just a little bit of time by yourself. So I thought that was a really interesting one. I've never heard that Hmm. talked about, so I thought I would share that. That is very interesting. And I guess it applies not just to your cycle, but, you know, whenever you feel, for whichever reason, you feel unwell or even if you need more time to work or whatever, it's always a good practice to actually explain and find, Mm. you know, an extra five minutes to just sit down and talk and explain and make sure that they are as okay as they can be in this situation and then kind of move on to what you need to do. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you know, taking that time and actually sitting down with our kids and and explaining to them, even when we think they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a two-year-old, she understands everything and she might not be able to parrot it back at us at the moment, but she's the sponge at this this time, you know, up until Mm -hmm. seven years old where we make all our kind of when we absorb all of our values and our conditioning and our, essentially our blueprint for life, we are absorbing all of this stuff. So actually she went back to nursery today and we sat down with her this morning and said, okay, today you're going back to nursery and this is what's going to happen. And you're going to see this person. And actually she was absolutely fine. So I think when we take the time to explain to our kids or to really listen to them, yeah, it shifts kind of energy where we're just like, just leave us alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to do this. Mummy's so busy. And I find for myself as well, I guess, is the act of talking instead of having it like stuck in your throat and being like, no, 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 I can't. Like I have to just grin and bear. If you just pause for a second and just explain, like I get these hangry moments <laughs> and for whichever reason, I'm Mm -hmm. missing, not the deadline, but you know, my natural kind of body clock is telling me we need to eat and for whichever reason I'm not doing that. And then I know I'm reaching this point when I'm about to like flip and just go crazy. And instead of suppressing it or just flipping, I actually pause and tell my 20 months old, look, mommy's really, really hungry. So I'm sorry if I get a bit like edgy right now. It's not you, you know, I'm just really hungry. So let's just make this process as fast as possible and eat. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as I say it, it's suddenly like not as bad. I don't feel as mm. explosive and as intense. So definitely the communication thing is quite essential. I wanted to, I'm just imagining some women who are not familiar with this whole concept of feminine and masculine modes of working. I'm just imagining them thinking, well, you know, I have a corporate job and I have this format. How can mm. I, you know, I'm not going to go to my boss and tell them about my period for whichever reason. Um, oh yeah. How do I implement this more kind of um, intuitive, in tune with the body um, way of operating within a rigid masculine kind of corporate world or family yeah. world? I'll take my example, right? So I worked in a very corporate environment and luckily I was in a team full of women so I could be very expressive about that. But if you're in a place where maybe you don't feel as comfortable doing that, I would ask you to challenge yourself on this. Now, okay, yes, maybe we don't want to talk about our menstruation, but I think we need to bring awareness to it because actually this falls into the old pattern of, oh, let's not talk about Mm. this. I'm menstruating you know and and men just like for whatever reason 
think about this as being disgusting or, and actually it's, I mean, our bodies create life. We are incredibly powerful beings, but actually when we bleed, it's something to be ashamed of and it's something not to be talked about. Mm. Well, actually that is something that gives all of us life, right? So actually I think we need to challenge this thinking of, it's not acceptable to talk about our menstruation and actually start being a little bit more open with how we're feeling and how that impacts our work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting that even though initially I envisaged this episode as focusing more on the practicalities of being a working mother, a lot of our conversation is focused on the body as well. And in the two previous episodes, um, I have discussed with my guests precisely the complexities of a female body. And it's really interesting to see that these principles are not just secluded to the realm of sexuality or the realm of your internal cycles and seasons, but it has a very specific application and a place in our daily lives and our working lives. And this connection to the body has been really at the center of pretty much everything I do, obviously through food, it's a huge uh, part of that relationship. But um, to me, it's been the pregnancy itself that really became this turning point in my life where my relationship to the body and my understanding of myself has shifted quite dramatically. I have always been proud of being a kind of a brainy person, if you can say that, very proud of my PhD and the kind of intellectual achievements of my work. But actually, having created a new life, um, my whole sense of self and my own center of gravity has shifted dramatically out of my head and more into the body. And in our culture, in our patriarchal culture, You know, the intellect and the rational thinking is very much associated with men. And this is what we value so much. Yet, obviously, no scientist as gifted as they are has been able to effortlessly, pretty much, (laughs) create a human life while going about other daily activities, while being a member of a society, while being a member of a family and often looking after other children, as so many women do. So really this new awe and admiration for the female body has reached completely new levels for me. But I was wondering, um, for those women who are striving to establish this connection of the body um, and to shift the center of their focus from their head more into their body, um, what are the practices and what are the mindset exercises that you would recommend and that you perhaps practice with your clients in your work? Yeah. Okay. So there are so many different practices that I could really talk about here, which I'm going to give you some of my favorites. So one is firstly, just really starting to practice grounding, practice being in nature, you know, practice being present. And I find that through the processes of grounding, so essentially a very good grounding practice is just to walk barefoot Mm -hmm. on the grass or on the beach or wherever you are. 
provided that it's not central London and you, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, that is a really good way to start just getting a little bit more in tune, just being a little bit more mindful and actually mindfulness is such a big part of listening to the body and, and tuning into the body. I know both of us have, you know, upped our meditation practices in the last however long. And that is essentially part of that journey, you know, starting to quiet the mind, starting to quiet the chatter that we experience through meditation is a fantastic one. And if you're not a meditate, like if meditation isn't for you, then you can try breath work. You can try something that you can focus the attention on. So Mm -hmm. for me, I do Vedic meditation, which is focusing the attention on mantra Mm -hmm. because guided meditation just doesn't work for me. So you find a tool that works for you in terms of starting to just quiet down the mind. And then the other aspect to really start to, to get in contact with the body and in tune with the body is to start maybe just doing like a womb practice, like placing your hands on your womb, breathing into the womb, just reconnecting with that center. You know, and I think we, when we spoke ages ago, I said to you to really start understanding the difference between whether your mind is speaking or whether your mm-hmm. body is speaking is if it's your mind, how is it making you feel? Like, are you thinking about it? Is there, is it a process? If it's kind of a back and forth dialogue, then you know, that's obviously your mind. Mm-hmm. When I want an answer from my body, it's asking a question and it's whatever comes up first for me. You know, when people talk about gut reactions or gut answers, that's speaking from your body. That's like your intuition speaking mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. And so really it's starting to just notice those two little, little shifts that happens there mm-hmm. and identifying it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think for, for women, it's this practice of slowing down for us mm-hmm. because so many of us are so used to going a hundred miles an hour and wearing busy like a badge of honor, especially as mothers, because I mean, come on, let's look at what we're, we're trying to do in one day. Um, and that, and simply the best way to do that for me was to start practicing yin yoga. Mm-hmm. And so very just slowing down or a restorative yoga, you know, just try something that helps you to slow down and tune in because when we're going hundred miles an hour, our minds are also doing that. And do you work with women on practical tasks, like say, looking through their schedules, you know, if they're feeling overwhelmed by their to-do list, can you help them go through that and say, okay, let's take this off, you know, kind of how, yeah. how is a woman who is very used to schedules, taking things off the to-do list, deadlines and all of that, um, how do you then start implementing the slower, more mindful way of living from the body kind of what would be the first steps Mm. of identifying you know those areas it's a process and for some of us it's a very easy transition and for others it's not you know whether we are used to being in control and control again is a very masculine form we want to control everything and it's starting to explore firstly that mindset around control and what that means for you, but also realizing that we actually have no control over anything that happens mm-hmm. within our lives. 
Um, and what I mean by that is things continue to change whether you want them to change or not. Mm. So that would really be the first point of kind of understanding what that shift needs to look like for you. How quickly, how slowly can you adapt to this? Looking at schedules is always a fantastic way to, to do it because actually when we have a schedule, let's say we have five hours to work within the day, we'll find a way to fill those five hours. Guaranteed, we'll all find a way to fill that time. So it's really breaking down how can you start to incorporate these things that help you slow down the grounding practices, the meditation, the yoga, you know, whatever it is that you feel connected to. Because again, this is about finding things that connect to you. It's not like a one size fits all. So when you start to find that and you start to schedule it in and you start to make it priority, you then fit the work around and working in a new way. So working in a way that's like, right, okay, let's look at what you need to do. Do you actually need to do all of those things? Because if something has been on your to-do to list for more than a, like a week, just cross it off. You're not going to do it. So it's starting to like delete stuff off that to-do list, mm -hmm. right? Because when we, when we firstly, when we have a, a to-do list that's as long as our arm, it's firstly very overwhelming, which then puts us back into that state of, oh my God, I have to get things going. And that speeds us up, right? So we're trying to just bring everything, slow it, slow it down, slow pace. So look at what's on that to-do list. If you haven't done it after a week, then just cross it off. It's obviously not important right now. And then it's like, do you need to be doing everything on that list? Okay, so if you have a podcast, for instance, do you need to be doing the editing? Can you outsource that to someone? Do you need to be doing everything at, on your website? Can you outsource that to someone? What are things that are worth your time and light you up? What are things that cause you stress and you need to let go of? Because you want to be doing more of what lights you up. So those are like very simple ways of just starting to calm it down. And, and again, you can integrate these different practices at different times. And if you want to go more, you know, so down even further, you, I mean, we've both read Do Less by Kate Northrup. She talks about doing less and actually how we've been so conditioned to fill our time. And especially as mothers, we think that being productive looks like working all hours of the day. And I'm speaking only from my perception of this because that was my model growing up. My parents worked all the time and that's what success looks like for me. So again, it would come back to this question of like, right, well, what does success look like for you? Mm -hmm. What does the life that you want look like for you? Mm -hmm. And how can we change your habits and your to-do lists to fit around that? And I think to me, that's definitely been a big shift, understanding that there are so many notions that are kind of ruling how I run my life but I don't actually understand what I mean by them. You know, this whole, this idea of success and goals and all of that. But actually when you sit down and exactly ask yourself, what does success look like to me? Mm. You suddenly pause and think, hang on a second, I actually never thought about it <laughs> to actually sit down and ask myself, what mm. do I feel is essential? And you know, what, how do I identify success or whichever other factors that you think are important and you kind of push yourself towards 
what do they actually mm-hmm. do for you? So I think that, yeah, that's an amazing, amazing advice. <laughs> so I have, I have something here that I want to share with you. So for like a lot of mums, they always say that they want to, for instance, earn more. Mm-hmm. And then we delve into like why they want to earn more. Well, because if I earn more, then I'll have more time with my children or I'll have more to do this or I'll have more to do that. And actually we start to create these very complicated, convoluted situations that we think we need to do something to achieve it when actually mm-hmm. we already have that. So as a busy mom who's thinking about going back to work, you know, to earn more money, to spend more time with their kids, actually cutting out that whole process. If they actually look at the time they have now, they get to spend time with their kids. So it's just like really breaking down. Why do you want to achieve the thing you want to do is the reason behind it. If it's more time, more energy, more all of this, then it's asking yourself, is this not something that I already have? Am I making this more complicated than it needs to be? Because again, we're very used to working in this very complicated way Mm -hmm. because we're so used to being busy, right? So we have to make it busy. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost being busy for the sake of being busy. Yeah. Or better yet to look to the others that (laughs) you're busy because that's really important, isn't it? That's the sign of success that you're constantly somewhere with someone doing stuff. And And as as mothers and as women, we need to just stop it. Just stop doing it, okay? It's okay to have rest days. It's okay to be at home. It's a, you don't have to have every hour of every day planned with activities for your children. This has also been talked about where we are overstimulating our children, where mm. we're not allowing them free play. You know, that's yeah. a separate conversation, but... Yeah. Now, that's a good one as well, because I sometimes feel, especially you know, during the lockdown, it's been very hard to judge like how much attention A, she actually needs and B, I have the capacity to give her. So I've been kind of challenging myself a little bit, but thankfully I feel like I managed to sit back and just enjoy her in her own element. And she seems, yeah, kids are a lot more happy playing alone and creating their own worlds rather than being told how to play and what to do. So yeah, yeah that's a very it's good subject. very, very important. And actually for, for any mom listening, you know, especially when this comes up and we feel like we have to be switched on all the time for our kids and always there and always present, a really great way to work is that you, well, I say work, I'm, what I mean is a really great way to be with them is play with them for half an hour And then have 10 minutes to yourself and step away and let them have time to themselves. So whether that's checking emails, whether that's having a cup of tea, and then you go half an hour, 10 minutes, half an hour, 10 minutes. Because what I have found personally is that when I was switched on and I was with her all the time and I was trying to do stuff all the time, the quality of the time that I was spending with her Mm -hmm. was less. Mm-hmm. My mood was not great because I wasn't having a break because I wasn't nourishing myself. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back again to that idea of presence. It's far more important to spend 10 minutes or even five minutes fully present with your child than spend a whole day in your head, on your phone, yet you're kind of with your child, you know, looking after your mm. child. And no one really benefits from that at all. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, as you say, it's a, it's a process. It's not like you can just flip a switch and then it's exactly. Yeah. And and the process is different for everyone, and it looks different for everyone. It feels different for everyone, and it progresses at a different time and stage. You know, a lot of people will come and they'll have like breakthroughs straight away. And a lot of people will have a breakthrough six months down the line afterwards, you know? So don't judge the way you do things by anyone else's standards because you will only feel like a failure. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you is just Mm. uh, you as someone who professionally helps other mothers to either, as you said, transition back to work or just kind of embrace the whole complexity of work, life, parenting. How do you manage it yourself? (laughs) Because you, again, from my perspective, you are doing it so beautifully and the very kind of model that you've created for yourself is so unique and is so tailored to your needs and your family's needs. But I'm sure you have moments when you probably feel, mm, you know, there's some kind of tension or challenge. Yeah. How, what is your life like basically? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, obviously lockdown has thrown a spanner into what everyone's life looks like. Um, So that has been a complete, completely different to what it would normally look like. And I think, you know, again, you hit the nail on the head, you know, we look at other people's lives and we think that they are perfect or that they are managing it in some kind of way and there's a secret formula to it. <laughs> there isn't. It's very individual. It was what works for me. I think when I became a mom and I also was running my own business, I had to drop my expectations. I had to lower my expectations. And again, very personal to me because some women are very career focused and driven that didn't work for me. That only made me feel worse. So what that meant was that I lowered my expectations so that when I was with Lena, I could be fully present for Lena. Because otherwise what I was finding is that I was trying to be a mum, And when she was with me, I was also doing work and I wasn't doing any one of those things well to the hundred, you know, to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. So I started to lower my expectations around what perfect looked like mm-hmm. and what polished looked like. And so that was the first step. The other step was obviously understanding what kind of support system I needed. So again, talking to my partner about what that looked like, having time for myself, making sure that, you know, if she was going to nursery, what days and how we would work all of those. So very clear lines of communication of what needed to happen to make me feel okay. And then the other aspect is just like, as women, again, looking at this way that we work is asking yourself, like, do I really need to be working five days a week? Or is that just so ingrained into me Mm -hmm. that I think that this is the only way to work? So Mm -hmm. I now work two, three days a week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do emails in the evening. But actually, again, what I found is that (laughs) that is me falling back into old habits of right, I need to be using my spare time to do emails. When in fact, when you've had a full day of childcare and being out and social, 